Welcome. Allow yourself to settle and to arrive. We'll begin shortly. Welcome to all those who are just joining us now. Allow yourself this minute to settle and to arrive. We will begin shortly. Thank you. Okay. Welcome. You are joining the Institute for Holiness, Kehilat Musar, during our awakening Torah Musar Mindfulness, our program that we offer weekly at 3 p.m. or 1500 Eastern Standard Time, located on the eastern seaboard of the United States and Canada and elsewhere down in South America. We are delighted that you have taken the time to join us. I am Rabbi Chassir Uriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of Machon Kedusha Kihilat Musar, the Institute for Holiness, the Musar community. We engage in Musar mindfulness practice and learning and in particular, we look at the weekly Torah portion of the Hebrew Bible that we have the custom as Jews to study the Torah. It's broken up in different parshiot sections, portions over the year. And this week we are just had read on Shabbat and had studied and prepared for for Vayeshev. And we study it together as a community now coming together on Sunday, the day after giving you the the opportunity to study this and to listen to it be laying and read on Shabbat. So I'm grateful that you've taken the time to strengthen your practice to learn with us and from us to be here together as community. It is key to our learning and to take refuge together. Before we begin our learning, we always begin with our kavanah, our intention for today's learning and practice. I'm going to share screen with you. For those of you joining us um, through audio <clears throat> after the effect, this is located on our website during the weekly blog at www kihilatmusar.com and as I said we are live on zoom right now on Facebook Twitter LinkedIn and YouTube before us is the Kavanaugh I'm going to share just the first and the third that is what I want us to kind of hold and cover today as we do every week 
So before doing acts of caring for the self, which we are doing right now, a radical act of self-care, to spend this at least half hour together learning and practicing and God willing growing together, we say the following. This is something I am doing to strengthen my own soul in order to be of benefit to others in the future. So allow that to sink in. And then we move to the final one, as this is also an act that we're doing to strengthen our relationship with God, with the divine. This is something that I am doing to strengthen my relationship with the creator so that I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. Our practice has a purpose, as I always like to say, that uh, we Jews have a mission statement in this world based on Rabbi Shimon Shkolp's work in Share Yosher, where he says that our job is to bring God's good to others. But even more than that, that it should be our foundational impulse of when we first arrive in the morning, when we get out of bed, when we wake up, when we're saying our modani, thank you, God, for returning my soul to me, that our first desire shall be that we bring benefit to others. And if we think about framing our, all of our learning and practice around that, think of all the harm and suffering we would relieve through our behavior, that we would put ourselves in alignment with Torah, with the Dharma, to be the best versions of ourself. And that is what we set to do today. We begin with Vayeshev. Now, I had prefaced earlier <clears throat> that in the previous parsha on um, when Avraham is called the Akidat Yitzhak, when he's about to uh, um, slaughter his son uh, based on being commanded by God, that it was going to be a very difficult session for us. It would be one that would try us, that would perhaps trigger states of either delusion or um, aversion of wanting things to be different than what they were. And so that we have to practice a lot of self-compassion. I'm going to repeat that here. This is a tough Parsha. This is, for me, one of the, if not the, it is the lowest point in my people's, my ancestors, our, our ancestors' behavior. And we'll shortly learn if you haven't studied the Parsha. So I want to extend that this is, let's hold each other, let's hold ourselves in compassion as we move through this. And be aware of the breath, be aware of the felt sense of the body as we learn this. We're here together, we're moving forward. Yaakov, who we had just intimately looked at his teshuva and growth last week, finally settles in Hebron, 
with his 12 sons and I'm sure many daughters, at least Dina. And unfortunately, he favors one of the sons, Yosef, who is 17 years old at the time. And the other brother's response, their reaction is one of jealousy. The father loves the child more, Yaakov loves Yosef more. Not only does he love him more, he gives him a gift, the called the Katonat Basim, this beautiful kind of gown coat that causes, uh, again, a reaction. The brothers who choose in their lack of mindfulness and uh, lack of skills to react extremely strongly with even more jealousy to the point where we're told that they can't say a kind word to their 17-year-old brother, Yosef. Yosef does a number of acts, I'm sure, without necessarily being told that the father wants these behaviors, one being, being bringing bad reports about the other brother's behavior. He's actually even sent out by his father uh, to bring a report on the brothers, and then he has these dreams. And in order to understand dreams in this culture back then, they're, they're seen as a divine, they're seen as prophecy, as a gift. So on one hand, while we might have this clinging and anger that um, Yosef seems uh, immature or arrogant or self-centered that he tells these dreams, um, on one hand, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt of what else was he supposed to do given the cultural context. If we're going to understand a Parsha based on social, social location, it, this is seen as prophecy, as a divine gift. Of course he's going to share uh, what his dreams are and what's happening. But uh, we'll notice soon that some of the commentators, particularly modern commentators, are really disturbed by uh, what they see as his arrogant, uh, selfish behavior. And I just want to comment that just like with Yaakov when he was 15, how he behaved with Esau, and even how if we have critique for Esau's behavior in the past, when he was 15, we have a 17-year-old here. Let's keep that in mind and offer less judgment, more compassion. So the father, the father really favoring, um, favoring Yosef, right? That, that's the beginning of this that I want to relate. So we have some very strong modern commentary. We start with, of course, Eli Wezel, who expresses great frustration at Yaakov's, what he sees as poor parenting. And I quote here, surely Jacob was the real culprit. He must have been a bad father, a poor teacher. What an idea to favor one, one child, give him more gifts, more attention, more love. Did he not know that such behavior would eventually harm the boy? He actually wanted to protect. So we see, uh, we see in this modern commentator and even others, very strong, um, perhaps even clingy, um, strong reaction for, um, to um, 
Yaakov's behavior of wanting it to be different than what it was. We might feel that arise in us too, and did when we started studying this Parsha, this uh, weekly Torah portion. And then I go on with Naomi Rosenblatt. He should have known better, meaning Yaakov. As a victim of his own father's favoritism, let's remember Yitzhak favored him. Why? No, actually, it's not Yitzhak. Excuse me, I'm mixing up sons. <laughs> it's, it's his Ima. Okay, Ima. Rivka favors uh, Yaakov, very much so. Uh, we don't, we're not told why, um, but she favors him. And it says that he should have known better as a victim of his own father's favoritism. His father favored his older twin, Esav. We're told because he provided good game, fed him well, essentially. Um, it says Jacob would, ha- would be expected to be more sensitive to his son's feelings. He, better than anyone, should understand the destructiveness of loving his sons unequally. We can only assume, like many recent widowers, Jacob is too absorbed in his own grief to notice. So she's trying to bring at least some compassion here that he just lost. Yaakov just lost his um, favored wife, the wife that he loves more than the other wives in front of everyone. Um, that he lost her while she was giving birth to the final son, uh, Benjamin. And uh, so listen, I just want to say, this is, this is Yaakov, who we know is like a one step forward, two steps back. Um, while he does Teshuva and grows, this is someone who favored a wife in front of everybody, in front of her own sister. He loved her more. Even God knew it. Are we really going to expect him not to love another son above the other sons? I just want us to put this into context that it doesn't surprise me as much as this behavior because he's not skilled in this set. He's not mindful. This is where we're seeing this behavior and it it does pain us. It pains us to the fact because we know that these brothers who end up being violent towards Yosef are really angry at their father and his behavior. They're angry at Yaakov, but they can't say that. They can't speak that out. The patriarch is like, in a sense, like God in some sense in the household, and they cannot speak it, share it, show it. So you have this in sense, like this family trauma being perpetuated, being like um, stuffed, um, of not really being able to work through um, what needs to be communicated. So little gets communicated verbally, as we've seen from last, uh, last parsha. So what happens as we continue in our learning? Um, the brothers develop a great hatred, passionate, full of fire hatred towards Yosef. The kind that consumes, the kind that blinds, the kind that leads to delusion and greed. And we know when we are full of hatred, greed, and delusion, as the Dharma teaches us, it will only lead to harm and suffering. And that is what we witness here. Great, 
great harm and suffering that will lead to intergenerational trauma and problems, starting with a family unit. And it just didn't start here. We know this. We know this back with Avraham and Yitzhak. And then Yitzhak with his two sons, with Esav and Yaakov, and now Yaakov, perpetuating this lack of awareness, this lack of mindfulness, this lack of wise, rightful, upright decision-making and behavior. So what happens? Yosef is sent out by his father to go bring a report on the brothers. He heads off 17 years old, heads 50 miles north. <laughs> These children, we think about Yaakov, who was 15, who traveled from Beersheba up to Haran, that is an enormous amount of travel for a young, a child, a child, a teenager. And now we have this other teenager, a 17 year old, who's going to 50 miles to find his brothers, to gather a report. And when they see him, that greed, that delusion, that hatred, that anger, that fire takes over. They allow it to take over. Nine of them, one of them doesn't. It's Reuven, the eldest, Leah's firstborn son. So right when they see him, the other nine plot to kill him, to murder him. Reuven hears this and suggests that they instead throw him in a pit, thereby the text teaching us and telling us that he plans to return to retrieve Yosef. Yosef is put in this pit. Now, just to give you a concept here, this isn't, this isn't just a, like a small hole. Okay, let's be realistic about this. Let me tell you about this. Okay, so we, we were taught here that they cast him into a pit. This is chapter 37, Pasuk 24, verse 24. Whenever the word cast, hashalcha, is used, it is meant to describe to a depth of at least 20 cubits. That is to a depth that in halachic terms, in Jewish law terms, is beyond eye view. Yosef therefore becomes invisible when he is thrown into the bore, into the pit. In the fullest sense, he is forgotten by the world. He's forgotten by his brothers who want to forgive him forget him. They want him to be erased, to be gone. They think that will relieve them of their own unhealthy midot, unbalanced midot, soul traits, their unhealthy, unwise states. So let's just be realistic here that um, they had planned to put him in this pit, that he would just die from exposure, from a lack of food and water. What's so horrific about this, we're not even getting to the, the most horrific part yet, is um, that one only has to bear in mind, oh, by the way, that last quote was from uh, Aviva Zornberg in her work, uh, The Beginning of Desire. So here we have that one only has to bear in mind that the lack of a proper burial for Yosef was considered to be the supreme dishonor in order to imagine something of the frenzied intensity of the brothers' hatred for Yosef. They've decided to go 
absolutely against their tradition, what they consider most honorable, and not offer him a proper burial. They're going to just leave him to disappear, to die in the boron. Okay. What happens next is what is the most horrific segment of this is that um, they sit down to eat a meal. Now, Reuven is not there. We imagine it's the nine other brothers. But let me just tell you the, 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 the depravity of this act. We um, were well aware that when someone gets stripped, they're stripping them. They're trying to strip them of who they are. And, and that's what they did to Yosef, throwing him in the pit, stripped him of his katonet basim, that beautiful coat that his Abba, his father, gave him. And um, to sit down and eat is is beyond. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the lowest point in the Torah, um, the saddest line in the whole Torah, but absolute low point. Um, so you know, there. I have nothing more to say about it other than that I recognize the pain that that carries. I recognize. that we carry that, we carry this knowledge and this story that our ancestors behaved this way. And we're very sensitive to it today, that when we see if people are stripped and humiliated and treated with shame and a lack of proper honor of burial of others who may eat or do joyful acts while someone is suffering, we bear witness to that as as Jews as we we do today because of that intergenerational trauma because of this beginning of our ancestors the story so there's obviously so much more to say um about this um and I will share more in the written blog uh, later this week that you can see more of my thoughts on this partial because it is so large and has so much to say um but i want us to be aware when we're studying this what triggers us what comes up for us is it the the favoring of a of a, of a child um, is it wishing that Yaakov, his behavior was different, that he didn't favor one child or the other that he knew better because of his own personal experience with this um you know is it the is it where is it the felt sense in the body of this continuation of familial suffering the threatened violence of one brother or more attempting to or threatening to or planning to murder the other brother um so um i just want to to allow us to really begin to recognize and allow what is arising for us right here in the present moment as we study these words and get into what is really the source of uh, the harm and suffering and what we could learn from this. Um, I will say that um, there is some growth in Yosef from the 17 year old later in the Parsha that you can read in the blog later on 
that really shows that he he's able to do some form of internal teshuva of finally recognizing and um, gaining emotional intelligence recognizing what's on the face of others and if and when he should he should share um so um we're going to hold all this in mind as we work through this greed hatred and delusion um and we're going to sit with it we're going to move into our sitting practice now so um again i always start off that if you're someone who lives with chronic pain or any discomfort feel free to lie down with eyes open so you remain awake and alert um, you may stand with uh, your body next to a chair to hold you to ground you and for those of us either in a sitting meditation cushion like a zafu or in a chair um, if you are in a chair ground your feet I want you to feel the earth holding you um, at any time if you feel that this is too much for you pull yourself out bring yourself to the present moment open your eyes be feel free to look at what's around you to center to arrive to settle so we begin by sitting in an upright alert position not stiff comfortable you may allow your hands to rest on your lap or in the middle or if you're really feeling that you need some love and compassion right now like i do great chesed and grace we need loving kindness and chen, grace from god right now to hold us and carry us through this shut your eyes if you feel safe or lower your gaze and we begin with three deep cleansing breaths in breath awareness out breath release in breath i am awake out breath compassion allow your breath to settle no need to force or control it So we use our breath generally as an anchor. What does it mean to use the breath as an anchor? It means that it is what holds you to the present moment. It's what carries you. And you have to remember the breath, the nishama, is a gift from God tied to the nishama, the soul. They share the same shorish, the same root. So for some of us, it's too difficult to use the breath as an anchor. Perhaps it's due to asthma or some other trauma, perhaps illness, survivors of COVID. If that is the case, you may use another anchor. It could be sensations in the body, whatever arises. It could be sounds that you hear. 
the anchor is to keep you in the present moment if you can keep your attention on that anchor. And I say if, because that is the practice of mindfulness meditation, of insight meditation, of vipassana, that our thoughts will move, sometimes called monkey brain, right? We might be fantasizing of something in the future, thinking about, obsessing about something in the past. The minute we awaken to that travel with our thoughts, we bring ourselves back to the present moment. We bring ourselves back to our anchor. From time to time, I will go silent to allow moments of reflection. You may trust that I will come back again with my voice and guidance. So as you recall this Parsha and everything that comes with it, everything it brings, notice what arises for you in your body. What is the felt sense? And if you are experiencing strong emotions, pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, notice the felt sense of those emotions in the body. Perhaps it's the feeling of tears that want to explode behind your closed eyelids. Perhaps it is the tightness of your throat, the deep bore of the pit in your stomach as you attempt to hold Yosef, immature, unwise, 17. Notice what is here for us right here and right now. Did you notice that there was any clinging or aversion to your encounter with your ancestors? Did you want things to be different than what they were? Was there any challenge in accepting things as they were, accepting them? By this point, it feels much larger, much larger than the just a father to his son, of that patriarchal, paternal violence and harm and suffering that we receive, that we inherit as our tradition. We've now moved from that kind of singular relationship to that of a group, a brood, a whole set of brothers together nine 
sein. And it feels communal. It feels that we carry their sin, their impurity, their lack of mindfulness, their greed, their hate, their delusion. We bear the burden of this as we inherit our ancestors and this intergenerational trauma passed down. And we begin to move into nurturing and non-identification. What would it mean for us here right now in our Vad, in our Sangha, in our community to forgive, to carry this, to heal, to move towards wholeness over time. And if you feel that this is larger than you, you are quite right. It is. We'll bow our heads in honor, God, in our practice, honor our ancestors, honor our own practice of compassion, to practice this savlanut, this patience in the Musar tradition of bearing the burden that we may carry each other, that may all beings be safe, may we be safe, may all beings be free from harm, may we be free from harm. We move into silent meditation, and I will ring the bells when it's time to go up to come up, to join us in between heaven and earth as we will reunite together on this virtual practice, this plane together as we're united all over the world right now. Our practice is one of compassion of Rachamim.
You may place your hand wherever you need nurturing on your body right now. If we notice any pain or tension, unpleasant sensation in the body, honor it. Put your loving, gentle hand there. Notice if there's been a shift for you from when we started this practice to right now. Is there an opening, a release? Breathing in love, breathing out acceptance. We move into two more minutes of silence. When you are ready, gently and slowly open your eyes to join us. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for committing to your kavana, your intention to do this self-care, to 
strengthen your relationship with yourself and with the divine so that we and you can be of service to others bringing God's good. Tonight is the first night of Chanukah, which means dedication, rededication. And if you have been feeling weak or tired as we enter into these days of more and more darkness and generally the cold, at least in the northern hemisphere, excuse me for all you who are in the south and have a different experience, but that shift um, really affects sometimes our practice. And so this is our opportunity, our Hizdam Nut right now, to rededicate, commit to our Vad, our Sangha, our community, taking refuge in God and the Dharma and the Buddha for us to be together, to practice and learn, to apply such a meaningful uh, foundational text, the Torah, in our souls and in our ancestors and our tradition for us to really study this and to look, what can I learn from this? How can I grow? So I thank you. I thank you also for your donations. This is a free will offering on the behalf of the Institute. And for us to continue to offer these, we rely on your truma, on your dana, and your donations. So please give, especially during this holiday season. You may give by being in touch with us at kehilatmusar at gmail.com. You may give at PayPal to chasyooriel at gmail.com. I am Rabbi Chasyooriel Steinbauer. You may give on Insight Timer. Just be in touch with us or visit us on our website. If these teachings are, if these teachings are important to you, foundational to your life and practice, show it by committing and by giving. We accept sponsorships in memory and honor of someone. You may reach out for that also. So again, thank you for joining today to study Vaishev together, to commit to our practice. I thank you, and I look forward to seeing you and being with you next week. Next week, Hashem, and we'll still be in Hanukkah, which is quite a blessing. Sending you all peace, shalom, shalom, shalom. Good night. Chag Sameach.